Hi, and welcome to episode 39 of the Home Hour. I'm glad you're here. This is the show where we talk about family, food, parenting, motherhood, and all the stuff that goes on inside your four walls. I'm your host, Mama Five, and author Megan Francis. I'm also the creator of the Happiest Home blog. We've got a great show today, and it's actually kind of going back in time. I'm rerunning an interview that I did with my friend and fellow author Denise Shapani back in 2012. It was only the second episode of this show back when it was called The Kitchen Hour. Um, And somehow it fell off of iTunes and is no longer available in the iTunes store. Plus, we've added a whole lot of new listeners since then. So I figured there's a lot of you who haven't heard it. And even if you did a couple of years ago, um, it's a great interview and I'd love to have you hear it again. Denise and I um, have known each other online since we had babies. We were both freelance writers, kind of starting out at the same time freelancing. And what I think is so interesting about it is that when we both had babies, it seemed like we had very different parenting philosophies. Um, And now that our kids are older, we're actually a lot alike. We have very similar kind of ideas about family life and... Uh, I think we have sort of similar families. It's just really interesting how you can go from one place and end up someplace completely different. And especially when you have, you know, young children and and babies, you can really seem like you don't have a lot in common with another mom. And it turns out you might actually have tons in common with them. So um, I loved our interview. Denise is the author of a book called Mean Mom's Rule. And we'll be talking with her in just a few minutes. Uh, But first, I just want to talk about what's going on in my home this week like I have been lately, and I'm really enjoying this part of the show, so I hope you're enjoying it too. So this week, for the very first time, I did something momentous. I actually did a craft out of the Martha Stewart Living Halloween issue. I think I shared last week that I have bought this um, issue of Martha Stewart Living every single year. I don't buy it all year round, but I usually do buy the Christmas and the Halloween uh, issues. I just can't help myself. They're so beautiful. And I feel like for a lot of us, Martha is that thing that we kind of like to make fun of because obviously she's such a pro at everything and very particular and the crafts look amazing and the food looks amazing and it's, it seems very complicated. Um, but you know, what I've kind of come to embrace about it is that to me, it's kind of aspirational and inspirational, not necessarily a, you know, blueprint for how I should live my life as a woman or a mother or, you know, a homemaker or whatever it is I'm doing. It's just something pretty to look at that gives me good ideas. And when I really kind of stripped away my fear about trying one of the projects and really took a really close look at what the projects that were there and what was required, they're not that hard. Uh, The ones that I was looking at from this month's issue were actually pretty simple. So I just decided to make one and I made a video about it the other day and it's at thehappiesthome.com. I guess, was it yesterday's? Yeah. So it would just be one post back from the show notes of today's post. And I'll just include a link in the show notes for today's post as well, just so you can find it. But it was really fun. It did not turn out to be as difficult as I thought. It took less than half an hour. Now, were the results perfect? No. Uh, I made some mistakes, which I point out pretty clearly in the video. Um, But it was a lot of fun and it just kind of inspired me to try some new things. Next week, I am going to be kicking off the deep cleaning challenge like I talked about, I think, last week. Again, that's when I will be challenging myself to actually do things like um, clean the cobwebs out of the corners of the ceiling and clean my light fixtures, things that I, in some cases, have literally never done. So (laughs) if you're right there with me or if you regularly do a big fall clean or a spring clean and just want some inspiration um, and company this year, Look to The Happiest Home next week. It'll be there. Uh, I think I'm going to put up my first post on Monday. 
Okay, let's get to today's interview with Denise Chapani. Again, Denise is the author of Mean Mom's Rule, and her blog is meanmomsrule.com. Denise is great. She has this very matter-of-fact attitude about parenting that I think um, is lacking a lot of times these days, and we have very similar philosophies about you know, our expectations of our children. And it's not about being a mean mom. It's about setting those expectations and following through and not always just giving in because your kid wants you to. And, and the guilt that we sometimes feel that that really pushes us into making parenting decisions that we maybe, you know, know that probably aren't the best for our sanity or for our family harmony. So we talk about that. And we also talk about getting dinner on the table. And Denise also has a very great matter of fact sort of approach to that. She's a working mom like me, but she also, you know, thinks it's important to cook dinner and and has a very sort of like your kids have to eat and you have to eat. So someone needs to cook um, philosophy, which is a lot like mine. So I really enjoyed talking with her for this episode. Again, this is a two-year-old interview. So there may be some weird remarks in there that I, you know, that seem a little out of context, or I might mention the kitchen hour since that's what the show was called back when I did that. I'll try my best to edit those out, but I think a few are probably going to slip through. So just bear with us. But anyway, here is my interview with Denise Shivani. I'm here today with Denise Chapani, who is author of Mean Mom's Rule, Why Doing the Hard Stuff Now Creates Good Kids Later. Um, Denise is a friend of mine. We, we go way back, right, Denise? Yes, we do. <laughs> you can find her online at it's meanmomsrule.com, right? That's right, yeah. Okay, so I would love to talk about um, this concept of mean mom, because I think sometimes people hear that and they think, oh, mean, you know, that's that sounds so sour and cranky and that's not what you're about at all. So I'd love for you to kind of explain your um, philosophy and also the story about how you kind of came up with this moniker of the mean mom. Sure. Well, um, I'll start with the second part, how I came up with it. Um, It was well before I had kids. I I possibly was newly married and I was talking to my cousins and we just started discussing, you know, what kind of moms we might be someday. And I said, you know, I think I'm going to be just like my mom. And my cousin, before she had a chance to stop herself, said, but Aunt Carol was so mean. <laughs> and so we started laughing and she, you know, she felt bad about it. But I said, you know, my mom was mean, but not, I mean, they all loved Aunt Carol and still do. But, you know, she was strict. She, um, you always knew where you stood with her. You knew what to expect. Um, and it was a warm and loving household that she was definitely at the head of and in charge of, you know, mm-hmm. as well as my dad. So that really kind of, crystallized it for me. I I knew that that's exactly how I was going to end up parenting. So fast forward years later, when I started writing my blog, which originally was called Confessions of a Mean Mommy, um, that just sort of popped into my head. Like, this is what I need to write about, about how uh, admitting that my stance sometimes could be seen as mean, but I don't see myself as a mean person, just someone who's in control. Um, and yeah. I sometimes I call it mean because it it goes against a kind of permissive style that's that's pervasive right now. So it feels mean to be this way because it it runs sort of upstream from what parents are like around me today. I think it's so funny that um, we would even um, define being in charge of the household as being mean, but it really kind of has come to that in a lot of in our parenting culture now, where uh, we. we sort of second guess the idea that we are really the bosses and that we really get to say how things go in our families. 
Right, right. There's this issue or this this feeling that being in control somehow is not something anybody wants to be. But when you get right down to it, somebody has to be. So. Right. <laughs> right. And it's probably not going to be the small people who have no life experience and, and really are looking to somebody else to help them figure out how to be adults. They don't know right. how to do that yet. Right, right. And I think that's key. I think sometimes parents think, oh, we'll let them make all these decisions. And it's great to let kids make decisions, but I think it's sort of morphed into letting them make every decision. And, mm-hmm. and that just doesn't work. I, I'm, I'm looking at your um, table of contents. And I, it, so it's set up as um, a series of mean mom manifestos, which I love. <laughs> and my favorite one, I think, was fail your child a little bit every day. Can you? Yeah. And, and the idea of um, failing your kids, I mean, it practically gives modern parents, you know, heart tremor. So <laughs> yes. I, I would love for you to kind of expand on that and what, what you mean by failing your child. Well, you know, to be honest, I borrowed that concept from uh, a British psychologist, D.W. Winnicott, the guy who came up with uh, The Good Enough Mother Mm -hmm. many years ago. And his idea was not failing your child as in, you know, don't feed them, don't clothe them, don't (laughs) hug them, but just let these little uh, lapses happen between a need that they have and you filling that need Mm -hmm. so that gradually over time they realize their own competence. It's in that little gap between baby crying and you picking the baby up that they realize that they're not going to, you know, dissolve if it takes you a second to get to them. Mm-hmm. And then as they grow older, these failures increase. I mean, the word failure is the best word you could come up with, but it's not failing so much as giving them a chance to see where their competence is, that they're, that they're able to meet some of their own needs. Like for example, say you have a toddler playing on the floor and he says, mommy, come play, mommy, come play. And you're doing something. Well, if you just say, I'll be right there, honey, you're giving him the chance to realize, you know, I can stack these blocks by myself for a few minutes and look what I can do. Mm -hmm. You know, and if your kid is playing on the monkey bars at the playground, you know, who's like six or seven and they they can't get all the way across them and you help them every single time, there's no, then they don't have that feeling of like, I did it when they actually do it. Right. By themselves right. without you helping. And if they fall a couple of times, you know, it's, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. So and I, my um, playground sort of philosophy is if, if you're going to get yourself up, you need to get yourself down <laughs> because <laughs> one of these days I'm not going to be there to help you get down. Exactly. So you need to self-regulate a little bit. That's exactly right. It's, it's, you know, always having in mind this idea that you're not always going to be there and they're going to have to rely on their own competence and their own smarts and their own abilities. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, like you mentioned your mom and, and I definitely think my mom, though very warm and loving, also was a mean mom in a lot of ways. And I just, you know, it's funny. I wonder how many of us, um, of our generation, I guess, of parents would define their moms that way and why some of us think that that's, you know, good and, and others obviously don't, or maybe it's just the parenting culture we're in and we're, it's not even like we're looking at our own upbringing objectively. You know, I think a lot of times parents look at it and they just say, well, that was that way. That was the old way, but right. now we're more enlightened. We're going to do it this way. But you know, we had, I think our, there was many, many generations of mean moms before yes. <laughs> our current generation. So I think that's true. And I also yeah. think that there are plenty of, of mean moms or, you know, some form of this today. And yeah. I just think it's not in the culture. It's not what you see on TV right. in the most, you know, mm-hmm. simple terms. And it's not what you see on the ground or what you think you're seeing. But 
an interesting thing has happened since this book came out and people started, you know, getting in touch with me or talking Mm. to me and just saying like, thanks. It's so good to be validated for what I'm already doing. Right. Um, Right. And it makes me think there's some sort of silent, silent majority, possibly majority out there. You're probably right. I don't want to be like, you know, that, that parent I saw on a TV show years ago who was just driven batty by these three little girls because she wanted to give them the choice to do everything. And, and, you know, right. they were having arguments or who got the pink plate and, right. you know, and, uh, and, and it also kind of feels like we believe what's fed to us. So, you know, um, for so long, the, what's been out there in the media has been about how awful parenting is and how hard it is and mm-hmm. how much you have to, you know, compromise with your kids all the time. And so this has been going on for, for years. I mean, at least throughout the two thousands that I can think of, um, Maybe the first book that really I noticed was um, A Perfect Madness, which I read and was like, who are these? I don't know these people. <laughs> I was reading it thinking, but they must be out there. They must be the people that are these books are being based on. And then it kind of became where we thought that was the norm and that that was how everybody was. Yes. Um, yes. And I, I think you're right. I don't think that's true necessarily. No, no, it's not. I think there's this that, that small subset or the things that make it into the media um, they, they ratchet up the level of what you believe parenting is supposed to be. And you think like, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. The stakes are so high. I can't get this wrong. And so, you know, I have to you know, get my kid into the best schools and I have to make sure they have the right teachers and I have to make sure they're signed up for everything. And, you know, it, it's, it's not the reality for so many people, but it feels like it should be the right way to do things. And mm. there definitely has been in the media, this, you know, the, the right way and the wrong way. So, yeah. Um, Another question that you mentioned, people are getting in touch with you a lot now to um, say, you know, to give you kind of props for the book. And but I wonder what criticism you're getting um, and if there's any particular chapter or manifesto or principle that you follow that is has gotten you the most hot water. Well, I wouldn't call it hot water so much, but I would say I think it might be the second one um, okay. about. Oh, the hang, uh, yeah, hang, hang on, on to yourself. yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some people have have taken that, and not that many, but I've gotten some comments and some reviews that have said that have taken that chapter to mean you have to be a working mother. That I'm anti stay at home mother, um, um, and I'm not at all. I, I in that chapter I do say that mothers should do something other than just be a mother. Which there's almost no way to say that without it sounding terrible, but. Um, and, and most of what I list in there, you know, doesn't have to be paid full-time work outside of the house. I mean, right. I don't do that. Um, I just think that there's been this glorification of kind of being a full-time mother, like mm-hmm. you're, you're a mother and that's, that should be the most important thing to you. And, and what I argue in that chapter is if you forget who you were, because you're still that person and your right. kids are eventually going to grow up and not need you as much. You know, I'm arguing for staying in touch with the person that you are, whatever that form that takes, you know. Um, and and that was taken as by a few people as a right. kind of anti anti stay at home mom. You know, like when my mom was staying home with us, she didn't consider herself a stay at home mom. I don't even know if that phrase was like really in the vernacular yet. She was mm-hmm. a housewife and people hate that term housewife, but I almost felt that that meant more. I mean, she did stuff like her job wasn't just to watch me and yes. play with me and cart me around and ship me all over the city, you know, from activity to activity. Her job was to run a household. And that's a very, I mean, that's a job. Um, 
that's I really well said. We've lost that's some exactly of that. That's exactly my mother was. Yeah. And I think we've lost sight of some of that. Like you can, you know, your mother, your, your mom, and that's a relationship you have with some other people, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's like a, it doesn't need to take up all your time, nor should it. And so that's what bothers me about the whole glorification of, you know, the at-home mom thing. It's, it's, you know, we, even if you're at home with your kids all day, you're doing other things. Even if you don't have any paid work or even volunteer work, you're doing, there are other things that you do that have value. And if we focus all of our time on our kids, like, and like you said, they're not going to be around forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at some point they'll be in school and at some point they'll be gone. So yep. then what? Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that you're, I think that along with that glorification has come a lot of pressure on both sides. And so people who are staying at home feel a real need to, um, to kind of justify that. Just like working moms feel a need to justify it. Right. Right. So we're kind of all, you know, it's two sides of the same coin, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, another one that I loved, um, another chapter of yours, hold on, I'm looking it up, is not to follow the parenting pack. Yes. I love that. Um, especially as parenting trends change. It's like everyone's following one trend now, but in 10 years, who knows? <laughs> so talk a little bit about that chapter and how that one, how that one came to be. Well, for that one, I just, I felt as though, I mean, it started with, with, um, you know, baby care stuff mm-hmm. and, you know, I mean, I, I breastfed my kids, but I didn't attachment parent them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I didn't sleep with them. It was very important for me that they have their own space and I have my own space. And it made me think like, shouldn't I be doing it some other way? Like what should I look up? Should I research what the best way to do things is? And I think what happens is it's become this thing that you're supposed to find the right thing to do. And like you said, it changes like a pendulum all the time, Mm -hmm. but you're supposed to find whatever the current right thing is to do almost as if you're trying to please somebody else. And what that shuts out is your own instinct. I mean, Mm -hmm. I had an instinct that I wanted to nurse my children, but I also had an instinct that I wanted to do it on something approaching a schedule because I wanted to regain a sense of my own schedule in my home and in my life. Right. And I wanted my children to sleep in their cribs and I wanted to get towards them sleeping through the night. And I want, you know, all these things felt right to me. And I think when we try to follow what other people are doing or what we perceive other people are doing, we end up dulling our instincts for what feels right for us and our families. Right. And, and like, you know, as somebody who um, was on kind of felt, you know, different things felt right to me than felt right to you. But the more I found, especially as an early mom, the more I worried about what other people were doing, first of all, the more defensive I felt about my own choices, which made me want to be a lot judgier of other people. (laughs) So it's kind of like this vicious cycle because I look around and think, well, why aren't people doing things the way I'm doing them? Either they're right or I'm right. And that I think is such a huge trap like that, you know, either, either I'm wrong or I'm right. I'd rather be right. So (laughs) I'm going to build this worldview around me being right and them being wrong. And I think a lot of moms fall into that trap. Unfortunately, it doesn't get better as they get older either. (laughs) I've noticed it just gets different. I mean, and like you talk about the pressures do change as your children grow. Um, I really thought that it would all go away. Like when they hit school age and it just changes. No, it just changes into something else. Yeah. 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 Actually, I'm going to wrap up this segment because we're moving into about the 15 minute mark. So when we come back, we're going to talk about moms and uh, the nice guy syndrome or nice mom syndrome and why it's so hard to say no sometimes um, and and why we should. And and Denise, I know you'll have a lot to say about that. So we'll be right back. 
everyone. Just a reminder, if you're streaming this podcast directly from thekitchenhour.com, you can also find it on iTunes now. And I would love it if you would check it out there. And if you like what you hear, maybe subscribe or even leave me a review or a rating. Um, Okay, and if you're actually listening to this through iTunes, make sure to check out the blog at thekitchenhour.com. Back to the show. Hi, we're back with The Kitchen Hour. I'm here with Denise Shapani, author of Mean Mom's Rule, Why Doing the Hard Stuff Now Creates Good Kids Later. Uh, You can find Denise at meanmomsrule.com. And we're talking about right now about the idea of being a mean mom um, and how, you know, in today's parenting culture, what our moms might have seen as just normal uh, might seem kind of mean. And, but it's all, you know, Denise, it's common sense to me. I really, you know, so number six of your mean mom manifesto is, here's the quote, here's the chapter title, say no, smile, don't apologize, repeat as necessary. (laughs) Why is it so hard to say no? It is, but it's so freeing. It's such a wonderful little word. Um, You know, a very long time ago, uh, when I, I had a friend who who had a house full of antiques that she and her husband had collected and they'd been together for a long time and they had all these beautiful things. And we were talking about how like, well, when you have kids someday, you're going to have to put all this stuff away. You're going to have to, you know, childproof everything. And she said, I'm just going to say no. And she said, it's all in the tone of voice. And, mm-hmm. and, and true to her word, she actually didn't do a lot of childproofing. She moved some things, but you know, that's a sort of, physical manifestation of saying no, you know, making your children understand that there are limits and boundaries in their world. Mm -hmm. But when I think of saying no, um, and how easy it is to say yes, I mean, in that chapter, I lay out, you know, what's so, what's so easy and what feels so right about yes. And then what's so great about no to kind of, you know, give readers a sense of like, you may think no is this big, scary thing, but let me tell you about what's so great about it. And one thing I kind of wanted to point out is that I think that um, I think sometimes saying no when it's appropriate makes it easier and feel better to say yes later. Because if you're just saying yes all the time, then after a while you don't really it's being dragged out. You know, you get the resentful yes or the oh yeah whatever yes yes, and that does not feel good. <laughs> yes, yes. So yeah, and and I I love what you were talking about baby proofing. Um, that was one thing that I never really kind I never really fell into that very expensive trap of baby proofing everything. And I would, but it was almost sold to us as like a necessity. Like when you're going to have a baby, you need to go through your house and pad everything and move everything up. And, you know, every single thing that could possibly be a hazard or a danger or broken needs to be baby proofed. And, and I remember thinking like, I'm going to be bringing these kids in, into this house and I'm not going to keep it, you know, sterile and padded for 18 years they're going to have to learn how to live in this house. And, you know, for the most, yes, of course, things have gotten broken. It happens. But for the most part, uh, it works. Like, we really don't have the kind of disasters in our house that I guess that I thought maybe I might have to be wary of yeah. early on. I always I always imagine, speaking of the, you know, feeling as though you have to have all these baby-proofing, you know, uh, tools and items, Um you know, taking our mothers or our grandmothers and plunking them down in, in babies RS or, or handing them a, a one step ahead catalog. And they'd be uh-huh. like, what planet <laughs> what? have you put me on? Like, what is this stuff? Right. What, are, what are these baby helmets? Like, what is that? <laughs> the helmets <laughs> and the little corrals that you, you know, yes. sort of little gated community for your baby to play in. Is right. It, you know, he can't play in the house. But back to um, why yes can feel good, 
But mm. one thing I observed, uh, and I start the chapter with uh, an anecdote about vending machines mm-hmm. and how, you know, I was at the, the YMCA for this basketball clinic my kids were doing or whatever it was. And I would sit there in the hall outside the gym and wait for them. And there was a vending machine there. And inevitably, every kid who came out of there was begging for something from the, the vending machine. And I was the one who said no. Mm-hmm. And many other parents were the ones who said yes. Um, and I was saying no because it was junk food and it was, you know, we were going to go home and eat dinner right then. Right. Um, and it was not easy to say yes because, of course, my kids pushed back and grumbled. But when I looked at the parents who were saying no, they didn't exactly look happy about it. You know, nobody you the parents really who were saying, happy. The parents who were saying yes, you mean? Yes, I'm okay. sorry. The parents <laughs> okay. were saying yes. didn't didn't look like, oh, I'm right. creating this wonderful, happy memory for my child of the right. time they had Cheetos, you know. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So I thought, well, if it's not making anybody happy, then what's the point? Right. And I think, you know, I compare one of the reasons I think parents like to say yes is they feel like, well, I'm creating memories or I'm making them happy. Mm. But, you know, I compared uh, thinking of saying yes to ice cream every single time the ice cream man rolls around the street to, you know, the time that you were driving along on the way home from somewhere and you were on this unfamiliar road and you saw this cute little ice cream stand and the kids are like, oh, let's stop. And you stop and you have this lovely homemade ice cream and you think that is a memory. Right. You know, that time you said yes, even though maybe it was lunchtime or maybe you needed to be somewhere else. You know, the time you had ice cream for dinner just because those right. memories saying yes every time the ice cream man comes up is is just capitulating right. and not really making anybody happy. Right. Not and, long term anyway. And it doesn't, um, you know, all it does is raise the expectation that now every time we pass X, Y, or Z, we're going to get right. this treat or every time we go to Target, we're going to get a toy or every time we, right. you know, and it doesn't, in the long run, it it also makes your job as a mom a lot harder because mm-hmm. now you've set up this set of precedent that you then have to either deal with in a big way down the road or... Um, or just keep giving in forever, which sounds horrible. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, also even further down the road, a child who hears yes all the time is going to grow up into a teenager and a young adult who expects to hear yes all the time. Right. Not yes. like, you know, no, you don't get a promotion after six months on the job. Or, you right. Know. <laughs> and, you know, I, I have to wonder, too, um, besides not wanting to disappoint our kids, because nobody really wants to, I mean, nobody likes to hear their child cry. I mean, that's right. all obvious. But... I wonder also why it is, why it is that when I've um, been saying no to my kids, say in the line at the grocery store, do they want candy? They always want candy at the grocery store. And I (laughs) almost always say no. And when I don't, it's because I just feel like, I just feel like making it a special day for whatever reason. Maybe they haven't had a treat in a while or, you know, but most of the time I say no. And I've had cashiers, older cashiers say, oh, you know, like, good for you, mom. Like, is this really never happened? (laughs) Is this really such an anomaly that you're going to like call me out because I said no to the M&Ms? But it makes me think, what is it that's so different about those moms? And I mean, we're not, they're not better people than us. It's it's not that it's, and it's not just, I don't think not wanting to disappoint our kids. So I think that's part of it. But you know, a lot of what I, what I see around me is parents always feel hassled and busy and distracted. Like, distracted distracted and we can't we have a really hard time focusing even for the five minutes it would take to deal with the tantrum you know and yes. and I wonder why that well how is our lifestyles or our culture changed so much and maybe that's really what the what's going on you know I I wonder if it really has I mean yeah. I think it's one of those things I think it's a, a in some ways a bill of goods that we've been sold that we are so much busier now than anybody has ever been in the history of the world right and I don't necessarily <laughs> think that's true 
Uh, no, I don't think it could possibly. I mean, try telling your grandmother that you're busier than she was. I just, exactly. <laughs> he talked about busy. And right. I don't know, I was making chicken at one point And I just sort of said, I just sort of felt like telling my kids. I said, you know, I just bought this chicken from the store, you know, this package of legs or breasts or whatever I had bought. And I said, my grandmother used to buy the chicken from the market. Right. And, and kill it. Well, kill maybe it. she didn't kill it. <laughs> but she probably had to. But she plucked it. it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> she, you know, skinned it and whatever yeah. she did. And I said, I still don't know how to cut up a whole chicken. My mother can do that, right? But um, you know, and and my grandmother also worked full time. Yeah. So I think there's this feeling, you know, and part of it may be all the the stuff that we're sold to make our lives less busy, mm-hmm. right? You know, convenience things, and you know, everybody telling us on TV commercials all the time how busy we are, how busy the American family is, and and there is a sense in which that's true with, you know, more dual working families and all of that. Mm-hmm. But I still think that we have a perception that we're this busy and this distracted. And it's it's something we're supposed to say and do all the time. And I also think, you know, when you come to say, you said this, this cashier calling you out for like, you know, noticing that you didn't buy the M&Ms mm-hmm. and is everybody buying the M&Ms? And, right. and you can see on parents' faces when they're out shopping that they're just like, oh, this is going to be a hassle. It's going to be hard. Right. He's going to be asking for stuff. And I could just sort of imagine my mother shopping and she used to have her moments when she would, you know, we would bug her to the point where she screamed at us and all that right. kind of stuff like any normal mother. But there was a, a sense in which I think parents were above the fray a lot more. Right. You know, and I think now we kind of get down to this level of our kids. Like, we don't want them to have those feelings Mm -hmm. of, you know, being pissed off. But sometimes I try it. I, like, literally try to put on this, like, I'm not even noticing these two kids following me around the supermarket, pushing each other and asking for sugar cereals. (laughs) I don't even know who they are. I just keep going. They'll follow me. They're my kids. They're not going to go anywhere. Right. Yeah, you're right. It's like we feel the need to involve ourselves, uh, uh, intimately with all like all the little details of their feelings and what they're doing. And, and some of that I think is the fear of judgment. I do think that some of it is the fear that if we don't capitulate, if we don't give in and make them happy right now, what are they, will they scream? And then everyone's going to yes. point a finger, uh, yes. you know, are they, so that I definitely think is some of it. Um, but you know, it's interesting that you brought up and I'm glad because we can segue into talking about food, which is um, definitely on the agenda, but I'm, I'm glad that you brought up, the busy cycle, the false busyness. And, you know, you mentioned how we're sold all these modern conveniences. I read a really interesting article that was written, I want to say like in the twenties. Um, and I'll, I'll post it in the show notes. Um, so everyone can see it, but uh, that was all about how in the twenties, someone was saying, you know, they're coming up with all these, this modern technology to make our lives easier. And it's actually going to make our lives harder. And here's why. And they kind of like laid out this argument for how, um, all a lot of this modern technology was just making it so that we thought we were supposed to do more in one day. So like, whereas before we would have had, you would have come home from like your grandmother worked, she would have come home, she would have got her chicken. I mean, she would have spent the whole evening dealing with that. Right. Right. Dinner, you know, preparing the food, sitting down with the family, eating the food, cleaning up after the food. I mean, there wouldn't have been this, this notion that then you still had all this time because you could pop something in the microwave or pick up something through the drive through now you've still got all these hours for all this other stuff. And right. so I think that that has definitely happened. And, and for better and for worse, I'm, I don't want to give up my, my, uh, my stove and my microwave <laughs> and my dishwasher at all. But, but I think it, it has, we have been sort of 
we do sort of believe something about ourselves that maybe isn't true or maybe is a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, we don't yes. have to be as busy as we make ourselves feel like we are. Right, right. And, you know, and then there's all of the activities. I mean, right. sure, my grandmother worked full time and then came home and chopped all the vegetables from scratch. But right. she did only have one child and my mother wasn't going to soccer practice. So, right. You know, um, but I think we impose a lot of things on ourselves and we believe the hype that we're busy. Right. So, you know, there's some things that aren't in, in our control, like, you know, say both parents have to work and somebody has a late schedule, that kind of thing. Um, and then there are plenty of things that are in our control and we somehow, for whatever reason, feel helpless in the face of it. Right. Um, and, and it can also be as simple as, um, we don't plan ahead because we don't have to plan ahead. So one of the things that, you know, when I was struggling early on with kind of getting dinner on the table every night, um, as a younger mom, well, I didn't have to, you know, there was a thing like, I always knew in the back of my head that I had an out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. there was always a drive through there was always the box of mac and cheese. There was always some other thing that I could be doing. So then you don't learn, you don't kind of inherently have yourself on that routine where, oh, well, if I want to have dinner tomorrow night, I might need to start thinking about it tonight. You know, I might need to start thinking about it days in advance. Like I just, a lot of people aren't in that mindset because we didn't learn how to have that mindset. And also yes. because we don't have to have that mindset. We don't have to. You're right. You're right. It's funny you say that about thinking about it ahead of time, going back yet again to my grandmother. Um, now and then she used to stay with us for the weekend, say if my parents went away mm-hmm. and we would be having breakfast in the morning. My sister and I were, you know, young kids. And she'd say, what do you want to have for dinner tonight? What should we make? And we'd be like, grandma's breakfast. <laughs> we'd right. laugh at her. But that's what she was accustomed to doing. Right. Was like always having it in her head. And that was harking back to the days where you shopped every day. You know, right. you went to the markets, you picked up things and you... You know, and then it, it evolved to, say, my mother's time where she made her lists and her plans and shopped once a week mm-hmm. um, to now where, like you said, you, you sort of, we sort of let that muscle atrophy a little bit that, like, you don't have to plan so far in advance. Right. Um, you know, I mean, when I was a little kid, stores weren't open on Sundays. Right. So now I was trying to tell my kids this. I was like, you know, there was a time where you, you had to know what you were going to do because you had to do your shopping a day or two beforehand. Right, right. You, know, you couldn't just say like, well, I didn't think of anything and now it's six o'clock and everybody's hungry. I'll just pick up the phone and get a pizza. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, it's interesting. Um, for a while I was trying to do that. I was trying to shop like every other week. And I know some people can do that who are really, really organized. But what I found was happening was I would shop and I would have this fr- this fridge absolutely full of food. And then I would just forget about it all. Like, because mm-hmm. I just had it. And it was, I felt this false sense of security. Like, oh, well, I have this fridge full of food. But, you know, a bunch of it's meat that either needs to be dealt, like it needs to get dealt with in some way. <laughs> um, nobody can even see what's in there. And it was just, it's just funny how we've tried to, reduce the amount of work that goes into preparing dinner to such a degree that it's, it's like, you know, shop once a month and then just do everything like, you know, just do everything in advance. And it's actually makes it that much harder to get dinner on the table. Whereas you talk, like when your grandma went to the, the market every day, how simple. Yeah, it takes time, but it was time that she had to devote to it. So it was right. time that she made. And it was, you know, frankly, not that I want to go to the grocery store every day, but if I had to, spend 20 minutes at the grocery store every day, I could. I mean, yeah. don't want to, but to be very honest, I could. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. so I, um, I think that one of the things I, I really want to talk about is preparation because that's one of the things that we were kind of just touching on. And I'd love to hear, Denise, how you kind of, I know because um, 
cooking, you, you love to cook and cooking is something that's important to you or do you love to cook or is it just something that you do because you just want to have food on the table? I guess that's an, that's an important distinction. <laughs> it is. And it's, you know, with me, it's a little bit of both. And it's an ongoing conversation I have with my husband because my husband loves to cook. You know, he finds it a creative outlet. Right. So he loves to cook. But I end up doing most of the cooking these days because of the way our schedules align. Um, earlier in our marriage, he did a lot of the cooking because he was home earlier. Mm-hmm. But and I, in the same way as him, I do find cooking relaxing. I find it creative. I find it interesting. I love recipes. I love food. I love handling food and coming up with new ways to do it. But when it comes to feeding my family every night, that's yeah. not the same. <laughs> it's, you know, it's more of, it just becomes another job, like right. doing the laundry, mm-hmm. you know, or cleaning. Yeah. yeah. One of those things where, you know, every couple of weeks I have this like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You people need to be fed every day. Right, exactly. I have to feed you again? Didn't we just do this? Yeah. Didn't we have dinner yesterday? Can't that be good enough? Um, But I I think I've tried so many different things over the years. And what it's finally settled down to is shopping once a week, Mm -hmm. knowing that I don't have to get every little thing that I'm going to need for the week because I'm going to run out of things. Right. So I've made peace with the fact that I will go shopping once a week in a major way and then stop at some other store for, you know, I run out of lettuce, I run out of milk, I run out of yogurt, or I want to make something and I need one ingredient. So that's fine. That's, that's how the shopping works. And the cooking, I kind of just try to think of a few, like maybe three or four things that I'm going to make that week, sort of vaguely have it in my head Mm -hmm. while I'm walking around the grocery store. Um, I might get an idea before I leave. Like I'll say to my husband, is there something you guys want this week? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, tacos, macaroni and cheese, a roasted chicken, you know. And then I got go in the store with a, an idea in my head that I want to come away with, say, three meals, like three main courses. Right. Um, and then it'll go by what's, you know, what I see that's on sale. I might have an idea that I want to have um, a chicken, but the chickens don't look so good or they're too expensive or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, that that's basically it. And then I just come to the evening and I, if I, I have to have an idea, kind of like my grandmother, I kind of have to have an idea in the morning. Right. I kind of have to know tonight I'm going to make, like, I think tonight I'm going to make something like chicken fajitas. I'm I'm not really sure. I have some chicken and I have some peppers and I have some tortillas. I'm going to do something like that. Um, that's, that's basically it. There's always a salad and there's always some kind of vegetable for the boys. And I've just made peace with the fact that I keep the bottom drawer of the freezer full of frozen vegetables and I just pull one of them out, right. microwave it, there's your vegetable. <laughs> right. Because yeah. the problem with my boys, not that it's a problem, is that they're pretty decent eaters, mm-hmm. but they're not adventurous eaters. Right. So they're going so to eat a lot of what they like. Mm-hmm. But if it were just me and my husband, or if we were blessed with, you know, those kind of kids who eat escargot, we would be making all these really interesting things. Right. And then we don't have super picky eaters. So we kind of have dumbed down what we eat. Right. And we kind of meet in the middle with my kids. Mm -hmm. You know, that makes a lot of sense because it just makes it simpler and everyone gets fed well. So, Right. (laughs) right. And, and it's, I love that what you said about your, how your husband loves to cook. My husband loves to cook too. And I think the difference is like you said, um, unless your family situation is such that the guy is doing the majority of the cooking, it seems like they just have a lot more, I guess, room to love it because it can be more of like, when my husband cooks something, it's like an event, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like the kitchen is trashed afterward. He's used all these weird ingredients that he had to go purchase. I mean, it's just like, 
he makes awesome meals, but there's no way we could do that every day. And then yeah. there's no way we could do that every day and, and actually have everyone eat it and keep the kitchen reasonably clean and afford the groceries. So that's great for him. Um, it kind of means I don't have to do those blowout meals. I can just stick to the sort of, you know, like the roast chicken, the roast, you know, the, the pot roast. I, I figured out the things that my kids love and those are all very hearty, healthy meals. And I would just rather, I would much rather just make those every day than right. worry about trying to throw together some gourmet meal that everyone's going to pick over and it's going to take me the whole night. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, but I think that's healthy. You know, I don't think that there's another, another sort of mis, um, misconception, I think, about cooking that we're supposed to love it and that it's always supposed to be art. Um, right. And that's just unrealistic. Right. That, right. that leads to us not cooking and going through the drive-thru. Right. And I think, you know, that's something I realized about my mother after we all left the house and I would say, go visit my parents. And she was always pulling out recipes and trying these new things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she still does. She, her refrigerator is as full now as it was when she had three kids in the house mm -hmm. because she and my dad just eat all fresh food all the time. Right. So she's constantly buying stuff and cooking. But then I think, I think back and I was like, well, you weren't like that when we were kids. I mean, right. the refrigerator was full and she planned, but you know, you knew that cooking was a chore for her. She right. didn't hide that fact. She wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go whip up dinner now. She'd be like, okay, meat, vegetable, salad, right. potato. <laughs> exactly. Here you go. Clean up. Right. Repeat. Um, and I, I have a lot of respect for this idea that like, he, like I was saying before, like you people need to be fed again. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I need to come up with, right. you know, the balanced meal again. Mm -hmm. And, and I think sometimes, um, the more we kind of, the thing is, I think sometimes we're afraid to do things that we, we're afraid to do them in what we think is like a half-assed way. So, yes. you know, if you're going to make dinner, then it needs to be this, this great meal, like fresh vegetables, like you said, who, I mean, what's wrong with pulling out frozen vegetables, which by the way, have been shown to be healthier sometimes than yes. the stuff you buy at the grocery store. So, um, or the market, which is why we really only eat a lot of fresh vegetables in the summer because I, we live around a lot of farm stands and I get, um, our produce from a CSA. So, I know I'm getting like super good produce and it's really cheap, but during the winter we do pretty much all, all frozen vegetables because it means mm -hmm. I'm going to get dinner on the table. To me, I would rather get dinner on the table, even if it's a little bit boring or not the most awesome meal that was ever made, than to get myself really frustrated after a week of trying to make these great meals and then end up just giving up and ordering pizza. And I, right. I think that's part of why that expectation we put on ourselves, because I love to watch the Food Network just like anybody else. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm not going to make the stuff Bobby Flay or Mario Batali make, right. that's not going to happen. And I can't even keep up with like the 30 minute meal thing. She's like literally running around her kitchen. <laughs> Rachel Ray's like, she's yeah. like, and if you notice, Rachel Ray buys a lot of pre chopped she stuff. She does. Yes. That's very true. Which is not very cost effective. I couldn't, no. I mean, I, I, Going back to my mom, I could, I cannot buy a bag of already chopped carrots. I just can't. I physically can't. I know, do no, it. I know. My mother, that would have been enough of my. I mean, I couldn't have done that. <laughs> no. no. Um, or I see like a big bag of shredded cheese. I yeah. Point that out in the grocery store to my kids, I'm like, look at this big bag of shredded cheese. <laughs> you know, I will say I have gotten into the shredded cheese. To me, that is one. Of, we eat a lot of it. To me, that's yeah. one of those little shortcuts that, because it's actually not much more expensive if you buy it on sale. Um, yeah. I've just been able to kind of make peace with it. 
If it means kids than me. Yeah, that's true. But if it means like, right. Cause you know, it, you have to grate a lot of cheese to feed like seven people tacos. So if it means yes, that, that's true. You know, if it, however, if it's Parmesan, I always grate it myself and I get the real stuff, but you know, it's just, everyone's got their little thing, right? I mean, everybody's got their little sacrifices they'll make and the little lines that they'll cross. And then you've got the ones that you won't. Um, and I have to say this whole idea that we're talking about is kind of why I came up with this idea of the kitchen hour, because I thought, you know, not every night, but at least three nights a week, I need to just be, I need to just resign myself to the idea that I'm going to be in the kitchen for at least an hour. And usually it's more, um, I need to make peace with that and not try to fit it in around absolutely everything else and not try to put it off to the last possible second. I just need to be, I just need to say, this is what I'm going to be doing. I'll entertain myself with podcasts or whatever. Um, the kids can wander in and out and talk to me, but a few hours a week or a few days a week, I'm going to be spending significant time in the kitchen. It's just the way it is. And then as soon as I did that, I felt like everything fell into place. The evening became smoother Every, you know, the meal got on the table better. I didn't feel so grumpy about the dishes. It was just, although I make my kids do the dishes most of the time, but <laughs> you know, it's just, I feel like that's one thing we don't do anymore. We don't feel okay. We don't feel free to set aside chunks of time to spend on those things. Right. right. And you know, and I wonder, it's funny, you mentioned the Food Network and when the Food Network started, it was really all like gourmet cooking. It was all right. this aspirational stuff. And now it's, it's, it's really stuff that you're supposed to look at and say, I can do that. Right. You're right but, about that. But it, but it still manages to be aspirational. So it's just more frustrating because right. you know, you're not going to do Tali. <laughs> right. But shouldn't you be able to do Rachel Ray? Right. right. You still can't do that. <laughs> but, but you can, like you said, if right. you just say, this is what it's going to be, I'm not going to get it done in half an hour while I'm also watching it, you know, <laughs> helping with homework. And while right. I'm also picking up somebody from practice, I'm going to just say, it's going to take an hour and mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. Right. And then it's going to, you know, I'm going to feel better about it. And and you're right. I, I've actually done the same thing. It's just say, instead of resenting it and trying to fit it in, I'm just going to do it. And it ends up feeling a lot better, especially when I've chosen something to make that I know is going to be a hit. Right. And that's the best. I mean, and that's a great feeling too. When you, you know, for a long time, um, I was trying to make a lot of these really unique dishes and, you know, stuff with quinoa and uh, like a bunch of vegetarian food just to see, you know, just to try it out on my kids. And they would, you know, they'd give me, they'd give it a shot. They'd pick at it, but then I'd make like a pot roast and they would just be like praising me up and down and it feels good. I mean, you know, it's nice to know that the things that you have done are appreciated. Um, and, and so I'll do now, I'll do whatever I can do to get that appreciation. I'll make a roast chicken three days a week. No, I won't do that. But you know, I found that those, I found that handful of meals that everyone's going to love. And now that I've kind of mastered them, instead of trying all these fancy things, oh, just right. knowing, and there are days if, if I've already decided that I'm going to make spaghetti and meatballs, which is one of my kids' favorite dinners. I just know, like, I'm going to make it. First of all, I can make it in no time flat. It takes, it's, it's one of those things that tastes great in hardly any work. And I know I'm going to get like, you know, the, the grateful kid throwing right. himself on my legs in happiness that it's not <laughs> chicken again. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, sometimes if you're not someone who loves being in the kitchen, just making like just mastering those five or six or seven meals that are just the go to ones to mm-hmm. me makes so much more sense. I mean, then trying to always like come up with something new. And, and you know, that also goes back to kind of this um, high pressure parenting thing where when since when are we supposed to be like um, giving our kids these basically exotic 
food experiences at the dinner table every night. And that's another one of those expectations, I think, that we like, like we're supposed to be doing like, you know, United, the United Nations of food um, yeah. at our yeah. dinner. And, and it's just, it's unrealistic. We, we eat the way we eat because we're Americans or wherever we're from. You, you cook the way you cook because it's the culture you grew up in and it's the culture you're in and nothing wrong with making experimental foods or ethnic foods. But if that's not a, if that's not something you're into, don't, I don't feel like we need to push ourselves to do that. It's totally no. fine just to get an ordinary meal on the table. Right. And I, I love, um, so tell the story, Denise, about your mom in the kitchen, because this just cracks me up um, when you were a kid. And so she would cook all night. Like you said, she said it was kind of a chore. Yeah. Well, you know, it was, it was one of her things that she had to do. Obviously she was doing everything else during the day. My mother was not one of those housewives who, you know, she didn't watch soap operas. Right. She didn't, you know, she kept herself busy. Like she still does. That's her thing. You could keep yourself busy because otherwise, I don't know, disaster strikes if you're not <laughs> moving around. So she was doing all her things during the day, her shopping, dealing with us, cleaning, 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 and cleaning. Um, she would start dinner and she always got to a point. We ate dinner about 6, 630 because my dad got home about 630. So um, she would get to a point where everything was at a, a you know, almost done point, you know, there'd be a pot on the stove, there'd be, you know, things ready to go. And then she would just stop. And she was almost like she had been going since whatever, seven o'clock that morning, she would hit her personal wall and she, <laughs> she would throw herself on the couch with the paper or the TV news and just sort of shout out directions from the other room. Right. Stir that sauce, make sure the spoon's going down the bottom, wash the lettuce, set the table. Right. <laughs> so, you know, and that's kind of, you know, and I think, oh, I learned to cook from my mother, but she didn't actually teach me how to cook. She just kind of yelled directions and made you take yelled over. Directions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 And of course, everything had to be done a certain way. So it's not like she could just say, oh, you know, be creative, honey, make a salad. Right. It would be like, here's how you make the salad. Right, <laughs> right, right, way. right. Do it this way. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I think, so good. I mean, that's so good for, well, I mean, it probably has what made you grow up to be very comfortable in the kitchen. Um, and able to handle getting dinner on the table for your own family. You, you passes down, and if you don't learn that in some yeah, way, shape, or yeah. form, I, I think I think that taught me things like you know timing things mm -hmm. and you know preparing things ahead of time, cleaning up a little bit as you go along. Right. Um, she wasn't terrific at that, but I think I actually did that in in defiance of her, like putting <laughs> spices away and closing cabinets. Right, and, right, right, right. You know that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, it made me comfortable with the. Uh, it was not, the process was not mysterious. You know, right. It suddenly all ended on the table. Right, right. Well, before we go, um, and I know I'm, we might go over a little bit, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> I I would love to hear your sort of mean mom manifesto when it comes to feeding kids. Um, <clears throat> I know you said that your kids are pretty good eaters and not terribly picky. They're not terribly adventurous. They just kind of, they kind of eat what they eat. And I, I, you know, feeding kids has become such a parenting hot button topic because there's people who will say never, you know, never cater to your kids eating habits. And then there's others who will say, you know, basically if your kids are picky, then you owe it to them to <laughs> create them their own like mini meals. And of course those are, those are very opposite sides of the spectrum, but I kind of wonder yes. how you deal with the occasional, I don't want to eat that or pickiness or any, or, or maybe your kids have never been picky. Um, well, I think, I kind of fall in between there. I don't like, well, like I was saying before, I don't cater to my kids in making them, you know, a, a mini meal of their own while my husband and I eat something else. 
um, and they do have to eat what's put in front of them. But I do also, like I said before, make things that I generally know they're going to eat. Right. Um, you know, I might make, say I'm making chicken and I know they're going to complain because for some oddball reason they've decided they don't like chicken, but they always eat it. So say I make something like that that I know they're going to eat and I make, you know, some kind of starch, rice, potatoes, whatever. And I feel like making a vegetable that my husband and I like, and I know they're not going to like, okay, so then I throw some broccoli in the microwave because right. I know they'll eat that. So that's my kind of nod to, I'm not going to force them to eat the asparagus. I've made them try it. Right. They claim that they hate it. They're allowed to hate it. I understand the tastes evolve as, as kids get older. Um, but one thing that I, I won't do is apologize too much mm -hmm. for stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of parents do that. Like, I'm sorry, honey, we're having something you don't like. You know, and my mom used to say, I think I put this in the book, if I said, you know, what's for dinner, she'd say, oh, everything you hate, which was, <laughs> which was partly true because I was a terribly picky eater. Mm -hmm. And partly it was just like, please leave me alone. Right. <laughs> just, I've, I'm up to my chin with you and I've had it at six o'clock and I'm done. Right. Um, right. So I have a little bit of that, that kind of like, in fact, I've thought of instituting a rule that I got from my friend Sally. Um, her mom had four kids. And she cooked every night, everything from scratch. And her kids weren't allowed in the kitchen because mm. she didn't want any, you know, any feedback on what she was doing. Right. <laughs> so I think it's just like when you arrive at the table and you see what's there, then you eat. You are not allowed That's to comment. <laughs> we're, not, we're not discussing right. why aren't we having macaroni and cheese. We're just not having that conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and I do do a little bit of the, you know, you have to eat your vegetables before you can have a second serving of the macaroni if that's what we're having. Right. Um, which I've experimented with not doing, and I just feel it just, it works. Right. Um, my parents compelled me to eat vegetables I didn't want to eat, and now I love those vegetables. Mm -hmm. So I think there's, you know, you have to kind of play with what works with your kids. And there's a balance there. And, you know, to me, um, as long as my kids try the food, and I'm like you, I will often make several different dishes. So I'll have like a vegetable I know they like, and then a starch, and then maybe another, maybe a second vegetable that they may or may not like, and then the meat, which... You know, my kids, some, some of them don't, aren't just big meat eaters, some of them, mm -hmm. which is interesting. Usually it's the other way around. They'll eat all the vegetables and, and like take one little bite of the meat. I've kind of come to the point where I'm just like, you know what? As long as you eat a couple of things that are on the plate and don't make any negative comments, <laughs> I'm happy. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I, mean, I, I give them enough options that, you know, that that they're going to get something that's reasonably balanced and they yeah. eat well most of the time. Yeah. So, yeah. but to me then learning to be polite is really the most important thing. Exactly. So, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, my other, my other main rule is that they just, you know, they might have a snack when they get home from school, but if they're hungry right before dinner, they're allowed to have carrots mm -hmm. and, and that's it because, you know, hungry kids are more likely to eat. Right. And it's very easy to fill up on, whatever kind of snacks that they're getting after school and yeah. yeah. Well, you know, this has been so fun, Denise. And yes. I, I want to mention again, your book, uh, mean mom's rule, why doing the hard stuff now creates good kids later. You can find it on Amazon or at your local bookstore or pretty much anywhere. You can also find Denise, um, online at her blog, meanmomsrule.com. Again, it's Denise Chapani and, um, Denise, thank you so much for talking with me today. And I, uh, thank you. I wish you many more fun kitchen hours. You too. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, thanks everyone for listening to episode 39 of The Home Hour. If you want to find out more about Denise or see some of the links that um, we talked about today, you can go to the show notes. They'll be at thehappiesthome.com. 
com backslash episode 39. And again, that's where we'll have links to some of the articles that we discussed in the show. Check back next week for sure, because Sarah Powers and I are going to be discussing discipline on the show. It's something that hasn't really been covered in detail. Um, besides the conversation that I, you know, just replayed with Denise and maybe one other, it's not something we've gone into a lot, but we had a great listener question um, that sparked a conversation with Sarah and I that I think you're really going to want to listen to. So definitely check back for that. If you could go ahead and leave me a rating or a review at iTunes or wherever you listen to the show, that would be fantastic. If you listen on iTunes, you can actually find directions on how to leave a rating and review. Um, in today's show notes, which again are at thehappiesthome.com backslash episode 39. Okay, that's it for this week. We'll see you again next week.